Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. John Laurinaitis returns backstage. First WWE Hall of Fame 2021 inductee announced, and I take you through this week's edition of the Wednesday Night Wars. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. Last night was WWE NXT and AEW Dynamite. But before we get into that, let's check out our news. John Laurinaitis returns as WWE's head of talent relations. According to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, Laurinaitis is back in the role of WWE's head of talent relations. WWE has yet to officially announce Laurinaitis' promotion. The former WCW and All Japan star first started as WWE's head of talent relations in 2004 after Jim Ross stepped down. Laurinaitis resigned from the position in 2012, but he has remained in WWE since, working as a producer-slash-road agent. He is also remembered for his on-screen role as an authority figure on WWE TV. There is no word on the status of Mark Carano, who had previously served as the head of talent relations. First WWE Hall of Fame 2021 inductee announced, and also the date confirmed for the WWE Hall of Fame, Molly Holly was announced on the bump to be the first inductee of the class of 2021. First debuting for the WWE in 2000, Molly Holly is a former two-time women's champion and one-time hardcore champion. It was also announced that this year's WWE Hall of Fame ceremony will take place on April 6th. Fans will be able to stream the show on Peacock, which will be the new home of the WWE Network. April 6th is the Tuesday before WrestleMania 37, taking place on April 10th and 11th. Uh, This also uh, helps the rumors about the... Uh, NXT TakeOver two-day show, which we will find out a little bit later in <laughs> NXT. And uh, but why don't we get that into that right now? But uh, first, talking about Molly Holly, just to finish that point up, uh, congratulations to her. Big induction for her to get into the Hall of Fame for 2021. I hope we hear more names come in as well. We might not hear as many names as usual this year, given the fact that the 2020 people that still need to be inducted, like Batista and Jushin Thunder Liger and a, a, a British Beefcake, uh, excuse me, not British Beefcake, the uh, British Bulldog. There you go. Um, a couple of the names need to be inducted uh, from last year and weren't because of COVID. JBL was also on that list. Uh, NWO and uh, the Bella Twins. But they'll find their way in, and uh, hopefully we we get a couple more names, but just be prepared just in case it's not as many as we're used to. But now hopping into last night's NXT, uh, the show started off with William Regal and his two major announcements. Uh, The first announcement was that there's going to be the first ever two-night NXT TakeOver, one on TV and one on the WWE Network. This is going to be the week before WrestleMania, so awesome for NXT to finally put on a two-night TakeOver. It's going to be called uh, NXT Stand and Deliver, and I'm excited for the show. Uh, I know throughout watching this NXT, they're building up a lot of things for that TakeOver as well. And I, I couldn't be more and more excited uh, to see a two-night show, one on TV. And I feel like that's perfect for, for them because now 
uh, it helps people that watch NXT, uh, if they don't have Peacock, go by Peacock to watch that second show. And then, once you have Peacock, you're watching WrestleMania as well. So you're getting a ton of money if the WWE, especially that week of WrestleMania. You know, WrestleMania week is always huge. And now that they're putting a pay-per-view before WrestleMania, an NXT-type pay-per-view before WrestleMania, it's definitely going to be great. The only sad thing that might come from this, and odds are, is that we're not going to see any NXT stars uh, have an NXT style match at WrestleMania, but I think we can all live with that just uh, just a bit. Also, the second announcement uh, before the announcement was, was made, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai were asked to the ring uh, at the the entrance ramp. There was multiple, uh, well, pretty much the whole female locker room there on the entrance ramp, and they were crowned Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai, the first ever NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. Uh, huge, huge, huge moment for Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. A big You Deserve It chance from the crowd. An absolutely fantastic, fantastic, fantastic move from NXT. Uh, William Regal said it himself. Uh, if WWE was not going to give them the opportunity to uh, have the WWE women's tag team championships over down in NXT might as well make one of their own and they did uh we've heard some discrepancies from Triple H and a couple of the people talking about how do you think there might be too many championship belts in the WWE at the moment as a whole you know you have all the championships on Raw and all the championships on SmackDown now on NXT you just added another pair of belts and championships on NXT UK I think we're, we're touching around like 34 championships it feels like it's so many and uh, now moving forward, uh, it's nice to see. I think it's great. It's pretty much a, a copy of the NXT Men's Tag Team Championships, except the strap is white. So, uh, obviously, having that the little bit of flair to it, and it looks really, really nice. Uh, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart uh, challenge the new champions to a match tonight. And I absolutely love this show because, you know, they just do everything right. They they pick the right people to put in a tag team match for later in the night. The teams that met in the finals and might as well have it for the championship out. And I thought this was great. Uh, I absolutely love this show. And I really, really hope that they don't move to Tuesday nights. Uh, thank goodness that wasn't one of the announcements that came from William Regal. I feel like that would have been a big bummer for the rest of the show, knowing that they pretty much lost the war at this point if they do come out and announce that. But... Uh, at the same time, with all the news, especially with the news that I talked about yesterday, talking about how ESPN now has the rights to the NHL, uh, it does open up NBC for making some uh, moves in the future, and one of those moves is just keeping NXT on Wednesday nights as well. Looking into our first match of the night, Io Shirai versus Tony Storm for the NXT Women's Championship. Io Shirai obviously coming into this match as the champion. Uh, Io Shirai in control throughout the beginning of the match until action falls outside. I love how commentary continues with the narrative of Shirai never beating Storm in a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Shirai with a huge moonsault onto the outside that connects. Uh, although a valiant effort from Storm, Shirai locks in the crossface to pick up the victory. Great match to start the show. And I didn't see... Uh, anything that really uh, stood out in a bad way. I think this was a fantastic match, especially to open in a women's match as, at that. I talked about how uh, Impact started their show with a women's match, and uh, I thought that was a, a great, and NXT does the same here, and even better given it was a, a title match at that. 
I, I don't see Io Shirai losing this belt until she faces someone legitimate. And I don't think there's anyone on this roster right now that stands up to her except Raquel Gonzalez, given that Raquel Gonzalez pinned her at War Games, even though it was a War Games match. Uh, she still did pin her. And uh, in, later in the night, we get to find out that Io Shirai wants Gonzalez next one-on-one, which is going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome match. And I haven't had my money on anyone other than Shirai for quite some time. I think it might be time to start looking the other way. Not saying that Shirai, her luster is lost or anything like that, but Gonzalez is really, really, really hot right now when it comes to the NXT women's division. LA Knight backstage. Uh, He will make his NXT in-ring debut next week. Uh, and then he's attacked by Bronson Reed as soon as he announces that. Uh, I keep saying Eli Drake instead of L.A. Knight every time he does his thing. I guess it's just a force of habit after watching some N.W.A. and just the history of, of him and that name. Uh, you know, it's sort of tough for me to, to get out that habit. But I guess I, I got to practice L.A. Knight. Hell, L.A. Knight. I got to practice. You know, <laughs> maybe not. it's not the best time to be practicing right now. Uh, either way, uh, L.A. Knight. As I mentioned, will make his debut. It won't be against Bronson Reed. I don't believe they didn't announce that to be sh- to be so. They just said that LA Knight will make his debut. And I feel like if it was against Bronson Reed, they would have said that specifically. But we will see LA Knight have a match. Hopefully, he will win that match. But Bronson Reed will be involved in some way, shape, or form, as we all know. Pete Dunne versus Jake Atlas in the second match of the night. On paper, this should last 10 seconds, this match in my head, as Pete Dunne is just a world beater and an absolutely fantastic mat wrestler, and he did show that in this match. Uh, Dunne dominates after allowing Atlas to get in some offense early on. Pete Dunne doing what he does best, manipulating the joints and fingers of his opponent. Uh, Atlas puts up a fight towards the back end of the match, but Dunn locks in a finger-manipulating submission to win. A solid win for Pete Dunn, even though it was against a lesser opponent. Uh, Pete Dunn was just, uh, he just looked great. He just absolutely looks great. And, you know, sometimes you lose your luster a little bit, especially coming off, uh, what was it, two championship uh, challenging defeats? Or you challenged for the championship and you lost twice. Uh, sometimes you lose your luster a little bit, but I feel like Pete Dunne still holds a place in my heart in how well that he stepped up in the great storytelling that they stole that, that they told that Vengeance Day, uh, a match of the year candidate, and that for sure, without a doubt, especially with the ending with uh, Adam Cole and all that, you know, that that might be moment of the year as well. And we're only in March, and we, we get to talk about those things coming from an NXT show. Absolutely fantastic. He cuts a post-match promo and calls himself the best technical wrestler in the world and asks for someone to step up. Maybe next week we will see someone step up to that challenge. Next match, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez come into this match as the Tag Team Champions of NXT, and uh, they just got the belts. Uh, a couple, uh, like 30 minutes ago on the show, so I thought that was pretty funny how they had it so soon. But either way, I already have two women's matches on the card, which I thought was awesome. Uh, quick action early on. Uh, Dakota Kai can't seem to be getting much offense going. I've noticed that from her from the past couple matches, and I feel like I really needed to note it, note that that she her offense just hasn't been there, uh, and the way that she's being booked currently. Uh, back and forth pins from both teams. Match moving fast, but not in a bad way. It's a quick paced match, but not in a way that you can't really keep track of. 
Uh, Kai knocks Gonzalez and Moon out of the ring. Blackheart rolls up Dakota Kai to win the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. And a huge win for Blackheart and Moon. They joined the prestigious list of previous NXT Women Tag Team... I can't even say that with a straight face. The prestigious list of NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. Now, number two on that list, Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. Uh, I thought this was a solid match. I was a little surprised that Kai and Gonzalez got the belts taken off of them, but given the fact that Gonzalez is about to have a run with Io Shirai, it does make sense to me. I'm a little upset for Dakota Kai. I feel like she deserves a little bit better, but we could see her on the main roster possibly soon, given the fact that she has had some beef with Shayna Baszler. And uh, Raquel Gonzalez, I wouldn't say she's not ready yet. I think she could go up to the main roster. I think she does need to spend a little bit more time in NXT just to work out. I don't even know what else more she needs to work out, to be honest with you. But just to guess pay her dues is the the nicest way I could kind of say it. But if Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez go up together at some point, do expect them to face off for hopefully the still existing WWE Women's Tag Team Championship somewhere down the line. But I do think out of the names in this match... Blackheart and Gonzalez will be big stars one day in the main roster. Shotzi Blackheart's super duper unique, and I really feel like she can be uh, a huge part of the women's division in the future. I know you might be talking like, you know, she's a little bit like Ruby Riot. Not really. Not, I, I don't see it as much. Shotzi Blackheart, I feel like her all that emotion is there, and Ruby Riot, I feel like, has just been given up on, and so has that Riot squad along with Liv Morgan. It's obviously obviously a travesty and a shame, but I wouldn't compare Blackheart and Ruby Riot that much. Blackheart really uh, brought a character of her own that uh, changed the narrative completely. And then looking at Raquel Gonzalez, uh, she'll be a star of her own one day as well. You know, you could put her at the same level as Nia Jax, if you will, as a dominant force. But I think that she definitely can make an impact on the women's division as well. Next match: Zia Lee and Kaden Carter. Uh, third women's match of the night. So for them to do that many so early on, I thought that was actually pretty good. Uh, Lee going after Carter before the bell, but Carter was ready for it. Carter using her anger to take advantage. Casey Catanzaro enters ringside for support for Carter. Lee goes to break Carter's leg, much like how she did to Catanzaro. But Catanzaro attacks Lee with her crutch, ending the match in disqualification. Uh, Boa goes to attack uh at the word of uh, Mia May Ying, I think this might be a, a reference to May Young, but uh, it might just be me thinking a little bit too much. Uh, Carter saves uh, by attacking Boa with the other crutch. So uh, this this was short and but short, sweet to the point. We sort of got the idea that Zaylee just has no remorse for anyone and is willing to break anybody's leg at this point. She has no tether to the past anymore. Uh, and I'm glad they got this out the way early instead of a little bit further down the line. To get this out the way right now, she is no longer connected to the past that she once had and now is moving forward into a possible title reigning in, in her future given how dominant she, that she looks. Uh, next segment, I think this was one of my favorite parts of the night. Well, at the end of the show, it's probably my favorite part. But uh, this part right here was, was a big moment. Jordan Devlin appearing on NXT television, not in person, but over 
uh, video that he recorded himself. Uh, he mentioned that his travel ban exemption has been lifted and he's coming to NXT next week to find out who is the real NXT Cruiserweight champion. And yes, I've been waiting for this for so, 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 so long. Santos Escobar has been the current NXT Cruiserweight champion over in the States and over in the UK. Jordan Devlin has been holding that belt as well. Uh, I guess we'll find out uh, who is the real NXT Cruiserweight champion. Uh, I have no problem if it stays in the States. I have no problem if it stays in the United Kingdom. Uh, Devlin has something lined up for him in the future with with uh, uh, another wrestler in NXT UK. I believe it's Tyler Bate. And Santos Escobar, he's been holding that belt pretty well. But I do think that he's going to lose that belt at some point. Devlin, I'm not sure. I think he can hold it for a while. So it might be better off if it stays on Devlin. But it would make a bigger impact if it stayed in... NXT here in the States. It can go either way. I wouldn't have any problem with it. That's honestly just what I'm trying to say. It can go either way. What I am hoping, though, in in some, is that they have this match at the uh, Wednesday version of uh, the two-night takeover, not the one that's paid for, but the one that uh, you would get on TV. I feel like that would be a really, really big match for Devlin uh, for, for him to get that exposure on an NXT takeover like that in the States. Legato del Fantasma versus the Grizzled Young Veterans. Uh, two astronauts enter in the middle of the match, but they are not Brizango, but they are MSK. Legato del Fantasma pick up the victory on the distraction. Uh, MSK attack the Grizzled Young Veterans. Brizango enters and attack Legato del Fantasma. And that segment ends there. Uh, you know, big tag team ac- action there of uh, everyone getting their comeuppance. Uh, good to see MSK still on television, even though the broken hand of Wesley is keeping them out of in-ring action and keeping them away from the NXT tag team title match that they won after the Dusty Cup victory. But we will see going forward how it will look for MSK if they continue to be on television, which I enjoy to see even though uh, they can't be working in-ring action. Moving on to our main event, Adam Cole versus Finn Balor for the NXT Championship. Uh, the main event of the night and a match that is uh, WrestleMania main event worthy, how uh, dare I say. You know, the, that that big, this match is Adam Cole and Finn Balor. Obviously takeover worthy, but maybe I'll push the envelope a little bit and make people angry. Uh, Cole still in his Undisputed Era gear, still with the Undisputed Era music, and still with Undisputed Era entrance video. So... Uh, if anyone hasn't tethered themselves away from the past, it's been uh, Adam Cole. He, he's the one that's still connected to the Undisputed Era. I wonder what Bobby Fish is going to do when he comes back. He's just going to be looking at a hot mess, an absolute hot mess, uh, but a hot mess that he'll be uh, gracefully involved in. Uh, quick pace to start the match, uh, both using strong strikes to reverse moves and holds. Bal- Balor's jaw injured after a pump kick, and Balor suplexes Cole onto the entrance ramp for the comeuppance. Uh, terror in the eyes of Balor as he gets super kicked, really favoring that jaw throughout most of the match. Cole sent out of the ring and is met face-to-face by Kyle O'Reilly. Beyond the barricade, a 1916 from Balor on the outside and a coup de grace to retain the NXT Championship. A fantastic match between Cole and Balor. I didn't really do it justice by going through it here. A good match that you definitely should watch, and especially with this ending. Uh, obviously, the ending was going to be a little bit screwy, but this match was really, really some top-notch stuff. O'Reilly enters the ring, and Cole goes for a low blow, but O'Reilly stops it and attacks Cole. 
uh, up and out of the ring. O'Reilly tries to suplex Cole on the stairs, but is stopped by the referees. The two fight to the back, leaving Balor in the ring alone. The show fades to black with Karrion Cross standing behind Finn Balor and Balor asking what took you so long. Oh my goodness. A lot to take in here. A lot to take in here. I recognize that. I'll go back a little bit and and, and go piece by piece. Uh, Cole and O'Reilly, uh, obviously they're going to have their feud and with this whole Undisputed Era thing breaking up, uh, obviously fantastic. I would have liked to see Cole get his comeuppance there by getting driven onto those steel steps, but with the refs breaking it up, it makes me want to watch it even more the next week so I could finally see Cole get his uh, butt beat, if you will by O'Reilly because Cole deserves it and I feel like that's such a fantastic story to tell if you're NXT and they'll continue to write that story I have a hot take coming up in a little bit but I'll say that in a second and now we're carrying Cross back in the NXT title picture where he belongs oh my goodness how long I've been saying this carrying Cross belongs in the NXT title picture I've been saying it week after week after week every time I mention carrying Cross why do I mention it so much because he never lost the championship he was injured and had to vacate the title because of an injury he has never ever lost a match while holding that NXT title so uh, for him to come back and not reassert himself into the title picture right away might have been a good way to reintroduce us to what he can do and not just assume that we all know. So I kind of get that and it kind of uh, expanded his portfolio, if you will, in NXT. But now he needs to have that belt strapped back on him. I love him, Balor. I love what he's done with the NXT Championship. But Karrion Cross, this is his time. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. <laughs> If you will. And I think that Cross should be and will be the next NXT champion, depending on how the rest of the storyline pans out. And now, my hot take for NXT going forward uh, Cole versus O'Reilly in their feud will be better than Gargano versus Champa. And I, I think that is a hot take. Uh, may not be the hottest take in the world, but uh, the years and years of them two being together, and not only, you know, DIY was one thing, but now the Undisputed Era breaking up after years of being with each other in NXT and even before that, debuting with each other, I feel like this feud is really going to be some crazy, crazy stuff. And we saw some crazy stuff with Gargano and Champ. I'm not saying that they repeat spots or anything like that, but I'm saying that the emotional factor that's behind this, I feel like it's a little bit more deep and intrinsic, if you will. Uh, for a final grade, I'm going to save that till after I review AEW Dynamite, and I'm going to pin them against each other head-to-head, -head, and that's what's going to happen after the break here, so stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on March 11th, 1964, Antonio Inoki made his professional wrestling debut in Honolulu, Hawaii. Inoki began his professional wrestling career in the 1960s for the Japanese Wrestling Association, aka the JWA. Anoki quickly became one of the most popular stars in the history of Japanese professional wrestling. Anoki began promoting in 1972 when he founded New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is a company that still stands today and is one of the most famous uh, pro wrestling promotions in the entire world. Looking at last night's AEW Dynamite, solid show started off the night with ray phoenix with Pac versus matt jackson with nick jackson singles matchup very exciting to see here especially for this to open the show 
a match that could mean event a lot of other shows around the world of professional wrestling but for them to open it, i thought that was pretty cool uh ray phoenix and pack will have a AEW tag team title shot at some point down the line i'm just glad that it's not tonight uh given you know you, you don't want to see title matches happen so immediate gotta have a little bit of a build matt jackson getting frustrated frustrated for not being able to get in a lot of offense early on scu looking on planning on challenging the winner of the young bucks versus death triangle match uh, the two trade strikes. Phoenix tries to walk the ropes but fails. And Matt Jackson connects with two destroyers. One of those being on the outside. Matt Jackson super kicks Pac on the outside of the ring as well. The two leaving it all in the middle of the ring to open the show. I thought that was a fantastic spot with them just both laying there in the middle of the ring as the camera uh, hung above them. Phoenix plants Matt Jackson with a pile driver and picks up the win. A lot of leg slapping in this match. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, or if I'm watching for it since WWE is phasing it out of its uh, programming when you do a leg slap for a kick or something like that. I noticed that a lot in this match, and maybe it's just me having a keen eye for it at this point, given the fact that it's been in the news so much. But uh, that that's one of the main things I grabbed from this. A solid match, but I'm really excited for their tag team match in the future, whenever it may be. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley segment backstage. A uh, couple great quotes that I feel like I have to run through. Uh, Eddie Kingston was talking about uh, when when was the last time he really felt a ton of anxiety and stress, and one of that last times was when uh, they said that the the police were going to take him to Rikers, and that is a if you don't know what Rikers is, Rikers Island is a, a jail or pr- a prison in New York City that houses criminals from all five boroughs. Uh, Technically, it is in jurisdiction of the Bronx, but it is the only way to get to Rikers by car is through Queens, which is where I'm from. So as a kid growing up, Rikers Island is always a place that you talk about and a place you never want to go. I had a couple friends that have been to Rikers Island and have been jailed and imprisoned there. So, you know, I have a familiarity about it. And, uh, you know, it's nice to talk and nice to hear it on uh, professional wrestling uh, television. If you Google Rikers Island, odds are there's going to be a big sign that pops up and says, Welcome to Rikers Island or something like that. And uh, every time I've, I've drove by that as a kid, my dad would always tell me, that's one place you never want to go. You never want to go there to Rikers Island. And I used to laugh like it's a vacation spot. He's like, no, you never want to go there. Even though it says island, it's not an island you want to be at. I thought that was funny. Also, another great quote was uh, Eddie Kingston and Moxley saying that Impact Wrestling paid for the bombs that blew up uh, the ring or sparkled the ring, if you will. You know, another diss on Impact Wrestling, just throwing them completely under the bus, which I thought was funny. But great quotes all around in that promo. Moxley didn't win the match, but got a new drinking buddy back, he said, in Eddie Kingston. I love Eddie Kingston. I think he's the perfect representation of a wrestler from New York City, even though he's billed from Yonkers. It's, I don't consider New York City, if you will, but he is uh, as as New York City as it gets. He, he is as city, you know, as hard as you can get for a professional wrestler. And I give him a ton of credit in the world for him to do it on a main stage and do it with confidence and gusto and everything you can have as a New Yorker. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world. I think he, he represents us well, 
and uh, he represents himself well as a person with great character and great morals. And we've even seen it outside of kayfabe and outside of character of him talking uh, about the AEW locker room and what they did after Brody Lee passed away and putting on one of the greatest tribute shows of all time. Uh, without a doubt, uh, Eddie Kingston, not only a locker room leader, but one of the greatest faces on AEW at the moment. Uh, not not in a character sense of like babyface, but one of the greatest people to ever see on AEW television currently. And he might be a great babyface baby as well, given that I believe this is uh, somewhat of a turn, obviously, going to save John Moxley. You know, that's something you don't really expect. Cody Rhodes versus Seth Gargis. Uh, Seth Gargis is 0-2 in AEW, so you can tell how fast this match is going to go. Rhodes gives uh, his uh, weightlifting belt to a fan ringside. That was a very nice thing for him to do. Uh, Gargis needs uh, some new wrestling boots. Just want to say, if he's uh, listening to this podcast, Black on brown he had brown boots and black tights and the the brown boots weren't even like nice boots they're kind of like a little odd for me uh, but it was not a good look not a good look Rhodes win wins with a figure four leg lock in a quick squash match Tony Schiavone interviews Cody Rhodes after the match and uh, I figured you don't even really need to have a match here if you're Cody you could just come out and do the promo you know and just uh, I'd rather that poor Seth Gargis he, he didn't deserve this poor guy uh, Penta hopes, uh, hops off of the Spanish commentary that I believe he was on. Uh, I couldn't, I can't confirm this, but I believe he was on some sort of Spanish commentary and he asked the Spanish play-by-play announcer to be his translator, says that he would have injured Rhodes' arm so much in the match that they had a face of revolution if it was just one-on-one that he wouldn't be able to pick up his newborn baby girl. Rhodes hops the railing and they brawl. In the crowd, which was a, a fun spot. And uh, yeah, now they're going to have a match next week on uh, St. Patrick's Day. So that's uh, very cool. Good job for Rhodes and Penta getting involved in whatever they're getting involved in. Sting. Sting gets his segment uh, with uh, Tony Schiavone. Of course, we get a, a Sting segment almost every every week. And uh, every time Sting comes on, I do my uh, Tony Schiavone, it's Sting impression. You, know, you got to do that impression every time you, 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 you see it. And uh, Sting, I think he might have made a jab at the WWE here, but I might be looking a little bit too deep into it. He said, voila, Stinger gets a win. And uh, I think this might be a little bit of a shock because I can't remember the last time he did get a win in uh, WWE. He lost in uh, he lost to Rollins and he lost to uh, Triple H. So I, I, I looking back, I had to really do some, some big research to find his last time he actually picked up a victory. Lance Archer enters to interrupt. They do mention uh, how he didn't need to win uh, the Face of the Revolution ladder match. But he also says that even though he didn't win, it doesn't mean that he's one of he's not one of the faces of the revolution. He is AEW at the moment. Which, you know, he's trying to spin it in his way. I give him a lot of credit. But, you know, Sting and Archer, is that a match we want to see? I guess. You know, I guess that's if that's the way they're moving it. But I like I like the Sting and Darby Allen narrative. I know if it's over now, I might be a little bit upset because them two together are pretty cool. We'll <laughs> say like it's like a match made in heaven. And Sting took him under his wing, and I guess he's gonna let his little baby bird fly. But come on, I thought I thought it was uh, I mean maybe after that that elbow elbow drop bump from uh 
Darby Allen that that proved the sting that that's it yeah that was great and once again that match at Revolution that that cinematic match will be one of the greatest cinematic matches I've ever seen right up there with the Firefly Funhouse match and uh, I, I have it as a match of the year candidate even though it wasn't an in-ring in type of match it was a cinematic match and I don't know if we're going to put those at the same level uh, if it's a if it's a completely different category, and if it is right now, it's it's leading it. And it's going to be really really tough to beat. We'll see what Bray Wyatt and the Fiend does, along with Randy Orton do at WrestleMania. Hopefully, in my head, I think that's going to be a cinematic match. Uh, moving on, Ethan Page versus Lee Johnson with QT Marshall. Uh, breaking away from the the actual programming here and talking about the production, there was huge audio issues at this point of the show. And I believe it might be picking up audio from somewhere else like a basketball game. We, we heard a couple defense, clap, clap, defense, clap, clap, chance. Uh, someone's sinking some free throws. It wasn't like we heard basketball commentary or anything like that. It was just we're picking up game sound from a basketball game somewhere. I couldn't tell you where it was from. Uh, and poor Ethan Page because he gets no love when it comes to production value. Couldn't get it over an impact. And now he's not even getting over at AEW, a place for that hold with a lot of regard. So, uh, although it was a massive error, I did enjoy all of uh, the music that we heard that AEW didn't have the rights to. I thought that was pretty funny. A ton of music just AEW just definitely should not have had over their airwaves, which I thought was funny. Uh, Page connects with the Ego's Edge to win, which is just like a Rage's Edge. And once again, absolute shame about the audio. Not something you wanted to see if you're, if you're Ethan Page, given that he's trying to turn a new leaf. Page attacks Johnson after the match, but QT Marshall on the outside doesn't do anything about it, and it doesn't save QT uh, doesn't save Johnson. Dustin Rhodes comes out to save Marshall. Uh, excuse me, it comes out to save Johnson as Marshall turns his back on them both. Is this QT Marshall turning his back on the Nightmare Family? I'm not sure, but definitely, definitely uh, could be going forward. Moving on to our Christian Cage segment. Or not, because uh, it was supposed to be a Christian Cage segment, but instead Kenny Omega enters with his uh, broom ladies, if you will, and he enters with Don, Don Callis and the Good Brothers interrupting and taking over the segment as a whole. Uh, he calls himself, uh, excuse me, he doesn't call himself, Don Callis calls Kenny Omega the king of the death match, and I, I wrote dot 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 sure. Whatever you say, Callis. Uh, they address the explosion, not heard around the world, which I thought that, that was a good way for them to dub it, the explosion not heard around the world. And they try to turn it into a heel angle by taking away a moment from the fans. And you could spin it however you want if you're AEW. You can spin it in whoever way, shape, or form. Obviously, the explosion at the end of AEW Revolution was a dud. It was. That was. It was just an absolute travesty of a moment that was yes genuinely was stolen from us and whether if it was obviously I don't I've, they're not going to sell me ever that it was a part of the storyline I think it was just it was either it was going to be good it, it was it, it was going to be whatever it was going to be exactly what we saw was going to be it we were either going to as fans accept it for what it was and not complain or do the right thing and honestly complain about what we were expecting a big explosion we didn't get that. And we had the right to complain given the fact you spent $50 on it, right? We had the right to, to complain as paying customers. It's not like it was on a dynamite. It was on a pay-per-view, damn it, <laughs> you know? So uh, we had the right to complain there. And they could spin it however they want, but uh, it ruined the show. It ruined the show towards the back end. I'm not going to deny the match was great in between the bells and a lot of other matches were great. But when you end on that sour of a note, 
a lot of people are going to look back at that pay-per-view and remember the dud of the explosion. That's what everyone's going to remember this show by. Yes, they had a death match, but what happened at the end of that death match? And that's what people remember. That That's really, really tough. Eddie Kingston enters, and Callis says Kingston always finds a way to screw it up when it comes to his career. A countdown clock to make fun of Kingston trying to save Moxley, Callis, and Omega-69 in the middle of the ring. I never want to say that sentence ever again in my life. Omega <laughs> uh, and, and Kingston get into it as Omega dares Kingston to attack him, and of course Kingston does with a strong right hand. The Good Brothers attack Kingston, Moxley saves and they all exit. Christian Cage enters and meets face-to-face with Kenny Omega. Omega offers his hand in friendship, but Cage denies it. Omega tries to attack, but a kill switch from Cage is thwarted by Callus, who pulls Omega out of the ring before Christian Cage can connect. And then Christian Cage holds up the AEW Championship. A lot to take in here once again. Uh, I guess they're trying their best to to twist the narrative into the way that they want to given the explosion being a dud not working for me i do like to see christian cage once again involved Uh, i enjoy him but i think it might be way way too soon for him to get involved into the AEW title picture for me he's not a legitimate champion if they put the belt on him i think it's a huge 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 mistake and i don't think they will put the belt on him uh it's kenny omega is set to have a match against either moose or rich swan at Rebellion for Impact, and uh, I, that's the big selling point. There's no way Christian Cage becomes the AEW champion. Yes, they called him as a Hall of Fame potential talent, but he's Hall of Fame. He He's just not it for me yet. He's just not it. I don't know what it is, but Christian Cage, he just didn't do it for me. I enjoy him. I think he's great, and him face-to-face with Kenny Omega, they're going to have a good match, but he's just not a legitimate champion. Next match, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Mikai Ito versus Hikata Shida, Ryo Mizunami, and Thunder Rosa. Uh, Shida Mizunami and Rose go to attack during Ito's entrance, but Ito continues to sing her entrance as a brawl ensues. I know there's a lot of people out there that love Ito, but uh, I'm not a huge fan of her, and I could sort of say the same about Mizunami's act as well. It just doesn't grow on me. I don't know if it's just me being Americanized and uh, just... The, the things that Japanese crowds find entertaining, I don't find entertaining. Uh, I it just, might, it just might be that, to be honest with you. But uh, if you enjoy it, you have every right in the world to enjoy it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But for me personally, and I, I still ask this question, I wonder how this goes over in the casual fan's household. Um, I, I, I'm curious on how that goes over in like these type of moments. But for me, it just it doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate. But if it does for you, then the, all the power to you. I, I think uh, it, some people definitely enjoy it, and they, and they have every right to. Uh, Thunder Rosa connects with a Cancun tornado on the outside. I put that in air quotes because I have no idea what a Cancun tornado even is supposed to mean. It was like a spinning jump from the top road to, onto the outside. I guess that's what it's called. I, I don't even know anymore. Excalibur makes my mind explode. Rosa connects with the package pile driver variant to pick up the win for her team. Britt Baker attacks Thunder Rosa after the match with the lockjaw, and they will have a uh, unsanctioned match next week uh, on St. Patrick's Day edition of AEW Dynamite. Fun to see. Hopefully, this is a blow-off match between Baker and Rosa because it's have it has been going on for quite some time. Quite quite some time. Matt Hardy backstage, and they have a new addition to the group. So it's Matt Hardy and Private Party. And the new addition is going to be the Butcher, Bleed, and Bunny. Uh, 
I guess they're going to have a match at Elevation at some point, at least coming up this Monday. And it's kind of a nothing move for me for now, but we definitely could see that move turn into something of fruition given how Private Party did see some success. They did find their way to Impact Wrestling in a move with Matt Hardy for an episode or two and then over for uh, No Surrender. And um, Butcher and the Plate, you know, maybe they do the same thing with Bunny. I don't know. They It can, it can do something, but for right now, it's kind of a nothing move. They sort of have to develop it. Does, it doesn't make an impact just by making the move. Scorpio Sky versus Darby Allin for the TNT Championship. Darby Allin coming into this match, obviously, as a champion. I had a friend uh, the other day when Scorpio Sky won the uh, Face of the Revolution ladder match. We had a good conversation over the phone. And he's like, uh, Scorpio Sky, he's just the Walmart version of Rico- Ricochet. And I'm like, ouch. Oof. Hot take. Hot take. Coming for Scorpio Sky's neck. Disrespect. Uh, Allen offers a fist bump to Scorpio Sky, and he accepts. Great grappling early on with Allen having a nice spot holding on to the the waist lock for dear life being drunk around the ring, but at the same time holding on and keeping control of Scorpio Sky. Allen dives to the outside, reversed by a cutter by Scorpio Sky. The TKO by Scorpio Sky is reversed into a roll-up by Allen to retain the TNT Championship as expected, but at the end of the match, Sky does uh, officially turn heel and attacks Allen after the match and smiles in realization of what he's done. So official heel turn from Scorpio Sky. Good for him. Uh, once again, more character depth. But at the same time, for this match to happen so soon, especially right after he won the Face of the Revolution ladder match on Sunday, for him to have a match on Wednesday. And I guess, yeah, obviously, they're both in the same boat. Uh, Darby Allen having a street fight, but it's not really about that. It's just they didn't have any time for this to breathe or build. You know, I guess they didn't want him to carry around that brass ring because it looked like a life preserver. I get it. But... Uh, moving forward, it's sort of a shame to see that it happened so fast because now I'm sort of forced to look at Scorpio Sky as the guy that failed to win the TNT Championship, not the guy that has the potential to win the TNT Championship. Uh, that was the main event, that match, and now the the main segment of the night, if you will. Uh, the Inner Circle War Council meeting. Uh, this happened in ring. Jericho thinks that they should add a new member to the Inner Circle. MGF thinks that someone should be let go from the Inner Circle before they can have an argument. Sammy Guevara enters. And uh, how long has he been gone? For three weeks, I guess, maybe, or something like that. Uh, I thought it was a little bit of a surprise to make him come back a little bit too fast. But we'll see as this progressive it kind of makes sense. Guevara shows Jericho a video of MJF trying to take over the inner circle. MJF talking backstage about how he should be the new leader. And then, uh, also in that video, Santana, Ortiz, and Hager all agreed with MJF. MJF then at that moment tells Santana Ortiz to attack Jericho. But then instead, uh, Santana, Ortiz, and Hager turn their back on MJF thus causing MJF to cower in the corner and cry, which I thought was a fun spot. MJF in tears, then flips the emotional switch and then reveals that he's made a faction of his own. The lights go out, and then once the lights turn back on, FTR with Tully Blanchard, Sean Spears, and Wardlow appear and attack the inner circle, bloodying Chris Jericho. The show ends after Wardlow drives Jericho through tables off the stage as a new faction stands tall. Wow, absolutely fantastic. I thought this was an awesome way to end the night. And not only that, we have a new faction as MJF as its leader, you can presume. 
and a lot of people talked about this being the the coming of the new four horsemen a few weeks back not mentioning mjf as the name given that he was involved in the inner circle but now that he's out of that they did not hold up any fours this might not be the new four horsemen if you will but mjf being a leader of a new faction i wonder what name they give it how about the faction with a lot of initials mjf ftr s sean spears you know whatever 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 I, 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 that made myself that they said that over commentary and that made me laugh so i felt like i had to mention it but i thought this was a fantastic way to end the show uh mjf now standing tall and looking great mjf uh, i give a ton of credit in the world too i talked about this the last time i talked about mjf he really puts on a show every time that he's on he never breaks character whether it is uh, obviously on aw or whenever he's doing an interview or whatever every time you see him mjf is mjf as we know him on tv as we know him everywhere else so uh, good for him he deserves it he's been on national tv for about like a, a little bit over a year now and uh, he is making an impact everywhere he goes. And now starting a new faction, I think this is going to not only be great for MJF's career, FTRs as well, along with Sean Spears, who's been off TV for quite some time, uh, now making his push to the top. And uh, I feel like this is going to be great. It's going to be great. And now he's going to have a feud with the Inner Circle. Uh, the, the plenty of ways to move from here. Uh, I get a little bit too scared with AEW sometimes. I feel like they get too faction happy, if you will. They tend to group a lot of people together just to group them together but i feel like there's some meaning and narrative to this which i understand when i say grouping people together just to group people together just look at matt hardy for that example there's no reason why they should all be together why is private party with the butcher blade and money it makes no sense to me but this makes sense into me in a way they were looking for someone to lead if you will you know, we've seen them in action together, FTR and Sean Spears, you know, causing havoc. They, I guess they needed a real big name, and MJF is probably the biggest name they could have gotten. So a big wow for me, but that big wow does not put them over the top for NXT. NXT does take this week. I'm going to give NXT a grade of B+, and I'm going to give uh, this episode of AEW a grade of B-. minus. It might that might sound a little low. This is truly a B show. A show, the show was a B with a grade, but I had to knock it one big one for screwing over Ethan Page with the production value. I, I take production value to a very, very high standard, and for them to mess it up like that, especially AEW, I know it's live TV and these things happen, but for it to last throughout a whole match and then I coincidentally also match up with Ethan Page, a person that they just signed and has great potential in AEW, my, my man can't catch a break, so... Uh, I, Ethan Page gets all the love from me. Doesn't seem to get a lot of love from anybody else. And that is an absolute travesty. Absolute travesty. And uh, not any fault of AEW. It's, just, it's an accident that happens. But an accident that airs over live TV. It's an accident you really can't make. Especially when you got all that money flowing in and out. And you're Tony Khan. So not a good look. But NXT does pick up the victory this week for the Wednesday Night Wars. Looking at uh, tomorrow's episode. Uh, today is NXT UK. Uh, if you want to turn it on on the WWE Network, you will see the first ever uh, mixed tag team match. Piper Nevin and Jack Stars taking on Ginny and Joseph Connors. We will also see Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews take on Kenny Williams and Amir Jordan. So NXT UK, if you want to check it out, go check it out. I will be talking about it 
on the next episode. But that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.